you join us, as Duncan said, we're in uh, a Nehemiah uh, series where we're really focusing as a church on the theme of rebuilding. Um, obviously for Nehemiah this has a, a practical sense of the rebuilding uh, of the walls of the people of God in Jerusalem. But there's also a spiritual rebuilding, um, which is true for the, the people of God that Nehemiah was leading, um, but is also, we think, really relevant for us as a church. It's a time for us, perhaps, where over the last year and a bit, our individual disciplines, spiritual disciplines, have maybe gone a bit stagnant. They've maybe gone a bit dead. Um, and we need to rebuild in those areas. As a church, there's areas where we need to rebuild together again. One thing when I was thinking about this is fellowship. I was just, we've just been starved, haven't we? Starved of fellowship together. It's a chance for us to rebuild things that we've got planned, like the fish and chips evening. Fantastic opportunity to gather together to rebuild well as a body of believers. And of course, for our nation, um, we don't have to look far to see uh, across our nation and those um, across the world, there is brokenness. There is spiritual decay. And we need to look at how can we help and how can we play a part in rebuilding um, some of that as well. So last week, Duncan looked at godly grief and godly prayer. And we're going to move on today to chapter two, where we start to see the first um, sort of shoots of action that come from those godly prayers that uh, Nehemiah had. So I'm going to read from uh, Nehemiah 2, from the NASB version, but if you haven't Um, got your Bible, don't worry, it will come up on the screen. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Arctaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, and he may give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I arose in the night and I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem, and there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate 
inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests and the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right or memorial in Jerusalem. We see a chapter here of boldness. We see Nehemiah at many stages passes from godly prayer towards taking action to stepping out boldly because he knows that his God is behind him in what he's requesting. And there's going to be four, um, four points that we're going to look at today. It's going to be boldness to wait upon God, boldness to ask the king, boldness to lead and a boldness against opposition. So I'm really excited, so let's get straight in. Boldness to wait upon God. So you might think it's a really odd... I've just spoken about a sermon that's going to be about boldness to action and asking. And yet now I've made my first point, boldness to wait upon God. Well, if you read chapters 1 and 2, you might think that the action that happens is just a day or so after. It just naturally flows. Nehemiah's had this wonderful godly prayer where he's cried out to God and then it's just answered a few days later. Well, it's not. And verse 1 helps us because by giving the month, it allows us to identify that it's actually four months after Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1. There's a delay in what Nehemiah is asking to pray. So I think it begs the question, why? Why would Nehemiah in chapter 1 have such a, a bold, faithful prayer where he cries out, why would he take four months to appear before the king looking sad? Because his job as the cupbearer, he would have been appearing before the king regularly during that four-month period. So why did he wait until this point, four months later, to show the king his sadness? Well, I think verse 8 answers this for us. Nehemiah waited because he knew, as verse 8 says, unless the hand of God was upon him, that his efforts were possibly futile, at best would lead to his execution. Nehemiah didn't want to trust in his own strength. He didn't want to trust in his own actions. But what he wanted was a sense that the Lord was not only wanting him to do this project, but that God was saying, now is the time. Prompting him to say, now is the time to boldly step out and ask. And we see in Proverbs, Proverbs 21 verse 1, I'll just read this to us. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Nehemiah knows he's got no chance 
No chance of faithfully stepping out and having his prayer answered unless God changes the king's heart. So what he's waiting for, he's boldly waiting and not taking action, not asking the king, because he's waiting for that moment when the presence of the Lord, he feels it's right to step out now. But don't mistake waiting upon the Lord for laziness or or passivity, which sometimes you might have an idea of waiting as sort of on the sofa laid out watching TV. We see from, from this chapter that Nehemiah uses this time of waiting upon the Lord to plan. If you look at verses six to eight, when he's asked the king, he then rifles off exactly what he needs. He's already planned diligently exactly what he would need to do this project. So he's been using this time of waiting upon God. I imagine crying out saying, please let, let it be tomorrow. You know, let it, let it happen soon. That, that I would be able to go and start this project to restore the walls and ultimately the spiritual health of the people of God. But he boldly waits because he knows that unless God's hand is with him, it's futile. And me and Tammy have experienced this, having to be bold and wait upon the Lord. We were part of the church, Christ, Christ Central, that planted this church. We were part of the prayer meetings that prayed for this church to come about then when a small faithful team set off we wanted to join you we wanted to get alongside this mission but we didn't feel God was prompting us we didn't feel the hand of the Lord was on us to come it was on you guys going but it wasn't on us at that time so what did we do we went and did some training with commission we did some church plant training we did some theological training to equip ourselves And then praise the Lord, about a year and a half to two years later, he did prompt us. And we did feel the hand of the Lord on us saying, now's the time for you to go and join this faithful group and to be part of your original prayers for Pharaoh and for this church to grow. Nehemiah demonstrates to us that there's a boldness to wait upon God, to act when he calls us to and when he prompts us to, and not before, because to do so would be futile. Moving on to the second point, boldness to ask the king. So Nehemiah's waited. He, he's had this period of four months. Now's the time. He feels God prompting. He feels God's hand upon him to say, go to ask the king. You will be the person leading this project. He obviously needs to be released by the king to do this work. Now's the time. So you might expect Nehemiah to sort of after all this waiting to just charge in faithfully and boldly but then in verse 2 it says then I was very much afraid potentially quite a strange verse why was he afraid well Nehemiah had every reason to be afraid there's three in fact the first I've alluded to a little bit and Duncan mentioned last week it was actually punishable by death to be sad in the king's presence. It was deemed to be such a blessing that you were just in his very presence that you should be happy and your private life should be kept separate. So by being sad, he knew he was risking his life. He could die. The second reason is, in your own time, if you flick to Ezra, the book before, chapter 4, verses 21 to 22, this same king had stopped the work. He had been asked for his blessing and his support to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and 
he actually stopped the work and he said, no work shall continue or ever take place again until I so decree it. So Nehemiah is asking the same king for the very work that he's already stopped. And the third reason helps us understand why, why did the king stop this work? Well, he stopped this work because Jerusalem was always seen as a hostile part of the empire. The relationship between Persia and Jerusalem was not, not a good one seen as a hostile region there was no reason to empower it to help rebuild the walls and strengthen it when it was seen as a place that would probably do harm to the king so Nehemiah had every reason to be afraid however Nehemiah as we've read he overcomes his fear and he with great boldness but with great humility asks the king he steps out and he says Please, please release me. Please allow me to go and help my people and to rebuild the walls. So what allows Nehemiah to do this? What allows Nehemiah to overcome his fear, his, his genuine, understandable fear? And I think there's two reasons why he can do this. The first is that Nehemiah serves a higher king. Nehemiah knows that he's ultimate goal in life as a son of God is not even to please his employer the king not even to him not even to please and and um, be obedient ultimately to the greatest sort of human in the land the king his ultimate goal is to be obedient to the king of kings to his God and that is why he puts the rebuilding of the wall and the asking of this to be released to do that he puts that way and above his fear of the king because he knows that's the right thing to do. And Paul summarizes this really well in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says to the people of Galatia, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He is summarizing here exactly what Nehemiah knows and puts into action boldly. His number one purpose is to be obedient to God. God has said to him and has prompted him, it says later on in verse 12, the plan that God has put in his mind. God imparted this into Nehemiah's mind and that is why he must obey because that is the ultimate goal of his life and should be the ultimate goal of our lives as children of God to be obedient to him but there's a second part to this as well Nehemiah is helped to overcome his fear I think just knowing that you need to be obedient isn't necessarily enough sometimes fear can grip us when it's as genuine and as realistic a threat as it was to Nehemiah but thankfully as in verse 8 when it says the hand of God was upon him that speaks of also Nehemiah being empowered, empowered to do this, empowered to boldly ask the king this request. And we read in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. This is something that when we are Christians, this is something that is true of us. We don't have a spirit of timidity. So Nehemiah would have been I'm sure praying, I mean, you see, he stops to pray. 
when the king asks him, so what would you request? And he stops to pray again. I imagine he's praying, Lord, help me, strengthen me. Give me the courage to ask for what I need to ask for. And then there's also in Luke chapter 12, verses, verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you to that very hour what you ought to say. When we boldly obey and we're obedient, and like Nehemiah, we step out and we are faithful in overcoming our fear and asking, we can trust that God will empower us. Because if his hand is on us and he's behind us in what we're asking, as Nehemiah has seen through his time of waiting upon God, why wouldn't he supply him all he needs? Why wouldn't he equip him with the boldness to actually ask the king? And how amazing. He doesn't just, I imagine myself maybe scurrying in, asking to be released, and then thinking, yeah, I'll take that, that's a win, and dashing off. He doesn't, he doesn't, he stays bold, and he continues, and he asks for a lot. He doesn't just ask for the king to release him, he asks for resources. He asks for the king's implicit support to do what he had stopped before. This is amazing, and it reminds us what an amazing God we serve. That as Proverbs 21 verse 1 said, that he alone can change the hearts of kings. What power is at the disposal of the God that we love and that we obey? And I think that this is something where in this time of rebuilding, we need to, whilst we also, we've boldly waited upon God, we need to also be prepared to boldly ask. We need to be also prepared to take bold action in our lives in order to allow this rebuilding process to be productive and fruitful so some of the ways that you you might want to do this well I'm sure like me you pray for the town of Fareham to be you know I want this place to be packed out so that we have hundreds gathering with us on a Sunday and lots of other churches that are packed out that's my prayer well part of answering that prayer is I need to boldly ask my friends and family that don't know him to come to church. I need to boldly step out and to invite them to meetings. Some of your bold action might be asking your boss. Asking your boss, can I have a specific day off, whether it's a Sunday or whether it's a Tuesday? Because I really want to be at that time of fellowship. I want to be part of that fish and chip night where we can have fellowship and we can help build together, rebuild together again and, and, and to immerse ourselves in that fellowship. That might be your, your bold moment where you have to step out and ask your boss if you can work another day, if of course that works for you in your, your situation. It might be a bold action that you decide, I'm not going to do a club or a sport on a certain day. I, I block book Tuesdays. I love cricket. Anyone who knows me, I'm an absolute cricket nerd. I block out Tuesdays. I will not play for my cricket team that I organise on a Tuesday. I just won't, because that's the bold action that I have had to take in order to prioritise fellowship with my brothers and sisters. So think about what is that bold step, what is that bold action that you can think about taking today in order to be obedient to God, but also to, to help in terms of your spiritual rebuild, both individually but also us as a church. And the final one on that is, please be bold to ask as well, but like Nehemiah did humbly, to ask questions of your leaders. 
If you see stuff in the church, an area where maybe it's, it's stagnant, where it's dead, where we can grow, come with love and humility, but boldly ask the leaders, what about this area? Can, can we do a bit more here? Let's, let's, let's imitate Nehemiah's example in this. and Let's be bold, obedient to God, but he empowers us to, to, to be so. Moving on, a boldness to lead. So Nehemiah takes an 800-mile journey um, from Persia to um, Jerusalem. And once again, he kind of does something a bit odd. I expect, if this was me, and, you know, <laughs> grateful it probably wasn't, if this was me, I might have walked in with the king's, king's uh, arm officers with me and all the resources, kind of like, I'm here, I'm here to fix this wall and to restore the honour of God. He doesn't do that. He takes three days to inspect the walls. This isn't the kind of triumphant entry that perhaps I am and many of us might expect. Why? Why does Nehemiah take three days to inspect the walls? Well, the word inspect, actually, when translated, is, is like to inspect a wound. It's to get inside of all the nastiness and all the brokenness and decay. Well, Nehemiah knows that part of the rebuilding process is actually doing that. It's taking a moment to stop and to examine, in his case, the, the walls of Jerusalem, to examine the decay, exactly what, what is broken, what needs to be fixed. And I imagine this is a very sobering moment for Nehemiah, who up to this stage had only heard of the damage. He hadn't seen it for himself. But Nehemiah shows real boldness, real boldness to lead in this time. Because he, he then, after inspecting, he gathers the people. And the first thing he says to the people is he's bold and he's honest with them. And he spells out the perilous, awful situation that they find themselves in. He tells them about how you know, what they already know, but he opens their eyes to perhaps what they'd become oblivious to, perhaps what they'd ignored, because they didn't want to look in it. They didn't want to look at it, didn't want to see how bad the situation was. He doesn't do it in an accusatory way. He just spells out the situation. And this is a really important part of the rebuilding process for these guys, but for us as well. We need to individually look within are there areas of our life that have become stagnant? Is our prayer life stagnant? Have we stopped praying? Have we neglected prayer? Are we reading God's word? Are we feeding ourselves? Or have we neglected that? Are there areas of sin that have crept in? Areas of deadness? We need to look at what those are so that they can be removed. And as a church, brothers and sisters, we need to look, look, look at the church and see... What areas do we need to rebuild in? What areas are, are broken? What areas need to maybe be uh, rebuilt and built back stronger? That's a crucial part of the rebuilding process. We also need to look at our nation. What areas are our nation broken? Once we understand those, we can then start to look at how actually can we support the rebuild. But it's, it's a humbling painful moment sometimes but we need to look and examine and inspect the areas where there's brokenness and decay 
And John, in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1, Jesus refers to himself as, as the vine and we are the branches. And he talks about pruning, pruning branches, that sometimes he'll cut back, he'll cut back branches in order that we can grow more, that we can be more fruitful. This is somewhere where we need to look. 1 Peter 1 verse 7 speaks about being refined like fire. There is a godly process which Nehemiah boldly leads the people in here, but also as us being responsible for ourselves, we also need to boldly lead ourselves in this process. As well as as a church, we need to be boldly led in this process of examining. But what's great is that Nehemiah doesn't just tell these home truths and then waltz off and make them, leave them feeling bad. No, he does what every good leader and every bit of scripture should do. He boldly leads us back to God. He commands them to come and, and let's rebuild. And why? He doesn't say, because of my strength, because of the king's resources. He says, the hand of my God has been favorable to me. Yet again, Nehemiah is demonstrating his faith in the hand of God being upon him. And that's where he leads the people. They've had this moment of looking at the brokenness and the deadness, and he leads them back. And he says, but God is with us. God is in this. Don't trust in me. Don't trust in the king's resources. He mentions the king after, after God. He puts God in his rightful place. He then mentions, obviously, as an example and an illustration of the favor of God, how the king had let him come and had blessed him with resources. So that's what we need to do. When we look at our brokenness, when we, when we, we realize the areas where we need to rebuild, we need to come back to God. What is John 15, if you carry on with that, the vine and the branches analogy? A few verses down it says, if you abide in me, we need to come back to God. Nehemiah in chapter 1 speaks about it, doesn't he? He says, that's how they got here. That's how the walls got destroyed because they sinned and they, they turned away from God. They stopped abiding in him. So that's the, that's the answer. We need to look back to God and abide in him because he, he is overseeing the rebuild process. I love that about Nehemiah. I love the humility. He did not for one moment think, although he had leadership and he was bringing direction, he had no, not for one moment did he think this was his project. Ultimately, the project leader of this was God. And he was always going to submit to him. And he was only going to be successful if he remained in the favor of God and his hand was upon him. We need to be like that. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be turning our eyes and bringing these areas to God, asking him to help us, to help us get rid of what we don't need, the badness, but also to help us build back better. You know, John 15 speaks about being fruitful. He prunes so that we can come back more fruitful than before. That's what we need to do. We need to turn to him. And Romans 8, verse 28, just wanted to remind us that even when we're, even when we're looking at the brokenness within, let us not forget, brothers and sisters, for those of us that call Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour, he uses all things for the good of those who love him. So even that examination process, even that painful looking within and seeing the deadness, he uses. He uses for our good and he's using for good purposes. And I think you can't not look at this 
You can't not look at this section and, and not, not think of Jesus. That is what he has done for us. We were broken. We were dead in our sins. We were those walls. We were devastated. There was nothing good in us. Yet Jesus came, lived a perfect life, took upon himself our sin, our shame, our deadness, our dirtiness, our weakness, died on the cross for us, rose again and ascended. And I find it interesting that he took three days. It might be absolutely nothing intended by the author, but the fact that it's three days, it just screams to me of of what Jesus has done for us and how he takes us from that place of brokenness and devastation and builds us back up. So we must be thankful that he's done that for us, but we must also use that as an inspiration to allow us to be bold in this process that we're in at the moment in terms of rebuilding. And the final point, boldness against opposition. So you may have seen that in verse 10, which I, I skipped over, the first sign of opposition we see, the first murmurings, you know, how dare they, someone come to the aid of the, um, the sons of Israel. But then they, after the people come on board and there's this momentum to, yeah, let's build, let's do the work, they chirp up again. And they come and they mock and they despise and they lie. I don't know if you noticed that. They lie. They say, are you rebelling against the king? Even though the king has given him his blessing and sent resources with him. But we shouldn't be surprised by this. We know from Ephesians 6 verse 12, we are in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle between the principalities of darkness and Satan and God. And particularly when we step out, particularly when, like Nehemiah, we're taking bold action for him. It's going to come at us. We should expect it. But it's really interesting to look at how Nehemiah responds to it. He's shown such wisdom and such faith during this whole chapter and through the whole book he does. But how he responds to opposition boldly is really, really helpful. Notice he doesn't, when he responds, he doesn't entertain their human arguments. He doesn't try to explain, oh, actually, um, I, the king has sent me and here's my documents um, to demonstrate that he has. He doesn't, he doesn't go down that road. No, not at all. He doesn't entertain it. He doesn't listen to it. He doesn't give ground to it. What he does instead is he declares once again, as he has throughout the whole of chapter 2, that this project only rests on the hand of God being upon him. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. Once again, he returns to this theme that this is a spiritual, this is a spiritual battle. It's coming at him in, in human form. He's being criticized. But he knows that that's not, where, that's not where the victory, that's not where the battle is. But he knows that he has victory in the spiritual realms through God. Because God has brought him to this point and God, God will lead, lead him through the whole process of building the wall. And he's also not interested in, once again, he comes back and asserts God's king of kings status over the king of the land. The God of heaven will give us success. He's once again re reaffirming that his allegiance remains to God alone as number one not the king of this land, even though he is supportive of the work. So I want to ask, 
How do we respond when we receive opposition? Because we will. You know, we are encouraging, I am encouraging you individually, we are encouraging you as, as leaders, as a church for us to, to rebuild. We are gonna, we're going to encounter opposition. But what do you do? Do you shrink back? Do you stop taking bold action like Nehemiah has done earlier on because criticism has come your way, mocking? What I want to encourage us to be like Nehemiah. I want us to remain bold, but bold because we know the God that is behind us. Our confidence is not in our strength to argue our way out or to defend ourselves. Our confidence is in God and God alone. And this is the the theme of the whole of chapter 2. Nehemiah is bold. He demonstrates there's no timidity. He's bold and he's faithful for God. And the reason that he can be is because he knows that the hand of God is upon him. The favour of God is with him. And once we know that, once we understand that, then we can do mighty things. We can do mighty things. We can step out. We can ask things we can take action that we just would never have believed we can stand up against opposition boldly in the name of God because he is with us so I just want to before I close to and and pray for us I want to just take a, a minute or two I feel it's really important for us to respond to a sermon like this to take a moment to bow our heads to think what is that bold action? What is that bold ask that, that you feel God is, is leading you to take in the coming weeks and months? What is that boldness against opposition you might be coming up against? It might be that you want to reflect in this minute or two on things that God has revealed to you, deadness in perhaps your heart and your walk with, life, uh, with, your walk with God. That's okay. That's when we get to the bottom of it, that's how we can rebuild. That's how we can shed the stuff that we don't need and we can bring healing and restoration. So take a few moments just to reflect on that and then I will close in prayer for us and then hand back to Duncan. God, I thank you for examples like Nehemiah in scripture, immersing myself in this chapter over the last few months has just filled me with such faith and boldness that if you are for us, then who can be against us, that if your hand is upon us and if your favour is with us, then what can stop us, what can stop us at all, 
I just pray for us as a church. I pray that we would be a church that can boldly wait upon you. I pray that we would wait to, to feel the presence of God and the hand of God being on us, saying, yes, now is the time to move in this. And I pray that when that comes, Lord, that we would be bold to ask, we would be bold to take action. I pray like Nehemiah, we would be fearless despite real fears we can experience. We know that our obedience to you comes first. We know that you supply us all we need to be faithful to you and obedient to you in those moments. Help us to be bold like that, Lord. I pray you would lead us, Lord, as a church, as individuals in the process of you revealing stuff in our hearts that might be in need of fixing, might need in need of mending, might just be in need of removing completely. Help lead us in that process. Let us be bold as we do that, Lord. Not, not depressed and not um, full of misery. But instead, let us be filled with hope. Because we know that that's part of the process of, of how you prune us, of how you help us to be more fruitful as individuals, but as a church as well for you. And Lord, I pray finally that we would be bold in the face of opposition. I pray, Lord, that when it does come our way, I pray for your protection over us as a church and individuals. I, I do pray for your protection and your favour. But I pray that we wouldn't engage with it. I pray we would take our, take our battle back to the heavens. We would declare your victory. We would seek refuge in you in prayer. And Lord, I pray finally that that, that would be it. Let, let, let our prayer, Lord, be that we would be bold men and women. Bold men and women that want to be obedient and faithfully serve you. And I pray that we would see, I pray we would see the fruit, the fruit in our own lives, the fruit in our church, church life as we rebuild together again, but rebuild back stronger. Help us, Lord, lead us, be our confidence, be our boldness. In Jesus' name I pray.